Hey, welcome back to Scene on Radio. I'm John Bewin. This is kind of a bonus mini-episode dealing with some unfinished business here in our ongoing series, Seeing White. If you've been listening, you may remember a few episodes back, part three of the series to be exact. Chenjirai Kumanika and I were talking. Chenjirai is my friend and collaborator on the project. He's a media scholar, activist, and artist. At the end of that episode about slavery and race in colonial America, I was kind of marveling, not for the first time, at the realization that race and whiteness were not created by nature and simply observed by people. They were man-made, built for reasons that had entirely to do with power and greed. This history on this continent shows something so different, which is that it was constructed with very specific purposes in mind, lines drawn around the definition. Chenjirai responded by saying something I wasn't prepared for. And I got to say, there's kind of like good news and bad news on that note, you know? It's like, hmm. the good news is, you know, it really, when you think of this thing called whiteness, there's not anything genetic that, you know, you really share with folks that's different from what hmm. we all share with each other. So there's a message in here about our connectedness. Uh, but the bad news is that in a way, the effort to get people to come together under the banner of whiteness is sort of always been about power and exploitation. So I don't know what that means about trying to salvage the idea of like good whiteness. You know, that's mm. something that you got to wrestle with. <laughs> right. You know, when was right. whiteness good? You know, it's kind of like when was America great? You know? Yeah, you know, I mean, it seems like the the whole project was related to exploitation, and so if you identify that way, it's, I, I, yeah, I don't envy you in terms of having to uh, try to think about what that means, you know. I didn't know what to say just then, and it seemed like kind of a different conversation from the one we were having at the moment, so I left it there, but promised to return to it. So here we are. The next time Chenjirai and I talked, we came back to his challenge. Um, and, I, and I wonder, I've thought about that, uh, about what you said, and I, but I guess I have a question, which is, okay. I, I think there are several ways in which you could have meant that, right? Like one is a question about me, like about my personal feelings as a white person. Like it, is, is, does this kind of, looking at the history in this way uh, that we've been doing, does it present me with a kind of, um, you know, identity crisis of sorts, like, oh my God, I, you know, how can I be both, you know, a white person and, and good, <laughs> considering, is that, you know, that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that you're, it's more a question about what, what do we do, right? Like, what do I do individually as a white person or or what do we do as a society, as a white-dominated society, to try to, um, right. you know, to try to respond? And so I'm not sure. I guess what I'm wondering exactly, kind of, what you had in mind. Right. Well, just to go back to the first part. I mean, let me ask you this question. Let me ask throw a question <laughs> back at you. Okay. I mean, do you? How attached are you to? idea of being white 
Yeah, I could say actually that when you said that, when you said, John, I don't envy you having to wrestle with that, it threw me, it, it took me by surprise a little bit because at a, at a basic, like emotional, visceral level, this whole project is not causing, you know, I'm not losing sleep over some Detaching pa from pa whiteness. panic sense about, oh, how am I going to defend whiteness in light of all this? Right. Right. That, that's that's, good, that's yeah, just yeah. not. I can report that that <laughs> that's not there. Now, one probably one. But, but let me just say this: I'm glad that you sort of don't want to defend whiteness, and mm -hmm. I'm even glad that you. What it sounds like is you're willing to detach from your own whiteness, mm -hmm. because the willingness to, to understand what whiteness is and be willing to, in a way, detach your identity from it mm -hmm. is, I think, what part of what is required. But I, I just got to say, I don't think we can get off that easy. Mm -hmm. Because let me give you an example. Like, when you graduated from college, right, <laughs> did you feel like that was a victory for white people? <laughs> no. No, I did not. It, it, no, that that, that no, thought never right? crossed my mind. Yeah, Right, right. <laughs> but like when I graduated from college, I felt like it was a victory for black people. Yeah. And and when I got my PhD, I, I felt that and was told that. Right. And and you know, I mean, and like I don't know how you felt when, you know, Dylan Roof did whatever he did, but I can tell you that every time I see a criminal that is like uh, African American I've tried to train myself out of this but there's a part of me that feels like I'm somehow a part of that of, 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 of like that failure or something right right that's the thing I'm trying to like socialize out of myself because I think that's a horrible belief and you know I don't it's, I don't agree with that you know right and what you're getting at is this double standard where and this is part of a big piece of whiteness right and 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 of of how whiteness works in a white dominated society is that one of our privileges one of our luck one of our benefits as members of the white club is that we get to see ourselves and be seen as individuals and uh yep. and you're right i don't i don't when dylan roof massacred nine people in charleston i was horrified um but did i feel responsible as you know feel like that he reflected badly on me um not much i mean there there is a, there is a little bit of a sense there of oh my god what are we doing here what are we doing here i guess there's a little bit but um it's not the same i mostly think that yeah he comes from a very different place and that's that's not me and maybe Dylan Roof is like Dylan Roof is the wrong example because what we're talking about with this project is like these historical things, right? And this long historical legacy. And so maybe the issue is when you can release yourself as an individual from any connection or responsibility for that. Mm. That's what we're talking about, you know. Mm. Well, I will say that that this exploration, this whole project, and other you know 
previous kind of insights and realizations that I've had that that would have led me to do this project, um, you know, those those things do present a challenge to me. Um, and it's not it's not the challenge to to defend or or redeem whiteness as a thing, but it but I guess it is you know it's a sort of well what what am I John what are you gonna what are you gonna do, and and I suppose at one level even this project is is part of the answer to that because this is what I do for a living and it's what I know how to do is to make audio stories and and so you know. I can choose to do a project on whiteness instead of a project on something else. And and there's a kind of a stronger realization than ever that uh, I saw this quote by Angela Davis the other day and it resonated for me that it's not enough to be to be not a racist. And I think that for much of my life I probably felt that that it was that well I'm not a racist. I'm just going about my life here. Um and uh, yeah, I guess I sort of do feel, uh, in light of this whole thing, to, to you know, and what we're doing here, to feel somewhat more of a sense of well, huh, what does it mean? What what does it mean to be a more active anti-racist? Right, and I think this is where it's it's about elevating our thinking on this beyond the level of the individual and thinking to, at thinking about it at a societal level, at a structural level, you know? Yeah. I mean, another way to think about it is you can't face the history we're talking about and see the continuity in, like, Jefferson's priorities and this and the problems of race and ethnicity that we face now and then say, we're just going to, like, leave all these structures intact, mm. but I'm just going to be, like, an individual anti-racist mm. and sort of, like, just invite black people to dinner. Right. Kind of thing. You know, it's like, I'm just going to like make sure my kids can play with black kids, which is how a lot of people think about sort yeah. of anti-racist work. Yeah. It's like, no, we have to actually rethink structures. And, you know, you look at the stuff about redlining and housing. I mean, you look at like, there's so much stuff you learn. I mean, it's like, we're going to have to redistribute some stuff. I know we don't like that word, mm -hmm. but yo, let me just say, it's like, like my friend Sabella has a concept called like micro reparations, mm. you know, mm. like I'll give you an example. Like uh, sometimes I'm on the treadmill and like in my the gym I go to, there's like a limit on how long you can be on the treadmill. <laughs> and I'm not proud of this, John, but like <laughs> there's been times I've seen like a white person, you know, waiting and I still got like five more minutes on the treadmill. Mm. And I'm like, you know what? Micro reparations. I'm five more minutes on the treadmill. I'm taking it. You know what I mean? I'm just taking it right now. You know what I mean? I'm not proud of that. But I love it. I love it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like, here's the thing. Like, it's just like, you know, that's not enough ultimately, right? Like, it's not, you know. It's not really it's like the, the solution, <laughs> is it? That's not, yeah, you know what I mean? That's not getting it at all. It's like we're going to have to actually redistribute some things, at least some rights, resources, and representation Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. At, at a larger level. So I think it's not just, yeah, I, I think you're right. It's not individual anti-racism isn't getting it. You know? Right. And actually later in the series, uh, at some point, um, we're going to get to some of those questions about at the societal level, what the smartest people are saying about what we could do uh, not to make amends. I don't think that's possible. 
but to uh, you know to address our moral and financial debt in some in some tangible way. We'll get there. I don't think we'll probably inspire the whole country to do that here in 2017, but we're gonna we're gonna look at it. All right. There's a lot more that could be said about all that. What becomes of a European-American's identity in the face of the real history of whiteness in this country? None of us chose the color of our skin or this racial caste system we were born into, but we do have choices now that we're here. I agree with Chenjirai. Those of us deemed white can't just shed that identity in some easy way. We don't get to be generic individuals standing outside the race drama. We're in it. We need to own our whiteness, including the ways it benefits us every day. The little ways, the life and death ways, the ways in which the very structures of society were set up to our advantage. And we need a conversation we're not having now about how deep we need to go to remake this thing. Seems to me there's a way to acknowledge we're wrapped up in the whiteness project that our forebears created without believing it's really real or having allegiance to it. Next time, a bigger, fuller, reported episode, Whiteness and Science. How people used science to back up notions of white superiority and still do. Thanks for listening. Tell three friends about Seeing White. The response to the series has been strong, and it means a lot to hear from you about it on social media, in those iTunes reviews. Follow us on Twitter at SeenOnRadio. Like our Facebook page. The website is SeenOnRadio.org. The show comes from the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University.